your friend, the therapist. On this podcast, we're skipping the small talk and working to destigmatize mental health through intimate conversations with everyday people about their mental health journeys and how they stay well in a world that feels like it's falling apart. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. So today on the podcast, I have Cynthia Pecking with me. Cynthia is a marriage and relationship coach who helps couples reclaim their relationship, rewrite their love story, and rediscover their sense of identity within the context of their union. Backed by a deep understanding of psychology and a transformation story of her own, Cynthia has helped countless couples reconnect and find hope again. An avid traveler and culture buff, Cynthia speaks three languages and has traded her life in her native home of Kentucky, USA, to build a home in Germany with her husband, Alex, and two kids, Max and Ava. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you for having me, Carrie. I'm so, so happy to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm so excited for our conversation today, both about you as a person and you as a marriage and relationship coach. So I would love to start by hearing kind of what wellness means to you, either you as a mom, as a person, as someone in relationship, um, and how you stay well. Definitely. Well, I really only discovered wellness after I became a mom, to be honest, because it sort of forces you with the whirlwind and the chaos and the adulting and the routine, it sort of forces you um, into a place where it's really easy to lose your identity. It's really easy to feel like you've lost yourself to not know who you've become, to sort of lose touch also with your partner. And so I I guess over the years, just sort of um, after, like after getting caught up in all of that, realizing how much I missed it and, and how much it was affecting my life to not have wellness and to not have a self-care routine. And so now everybody's not going to be an early riser, but I'm definitely an <laughs> I love getting up and getting the worm. And so that is for me what works. So I get up really early in the morning between five and six. And I love just having the, the house is silent, everything, the birds are starting to chirp, everything's quiet. I'll put on a candle and have my coffee. And then I have, I just, I'm not very strict, like very strict with myself about what I do with that time. It's just like my sacred time for myself. So it's usually about an hour. And so I'll just have my coffee and I'll either meditate or journal or pray, or sometimes I just sit there and listen to the birds and don't make myself do anything or feel like I need to accomplish anything. Um, Sometimes I'll listen to, to voice messages from a good girlfriend. I have one really good girlfriend who lives in Sri Lanka and we speak every single day. It's such a blessing. Um, So sometimes I'll just listen to her messages and get back with her and we we kind of act as each other's uh, sounding board for everything, relationships, sex, parenting, business, writing. She's a, um, a writer. Um, so, yeah, I just like to take that time in the morning, that one hour to just be with myself and be in the quiet. Um, and then as far as, let's see, is there anything else I do for my self-care? I think just really making it a priority to, to spend time with girlfriends is, is really important to me. So I'm lucky to have a husband who really fosters that. And so is very understanding if I want to get away for a weekend. Um, I have a really good, I have really good friends in Vienna. So that's not too far from Germany. So I like to go there for a weekend and just not be a mom and, you know, just 
spend the weekend just going out and having champagne and they, they have like a, um, just a very different life when I live in Germany, you know, just lots of beautiful, beautiful wine bars and, um, or we'll go stand up paddling or whatever. So yeah, just spending time with girlfriends too. I guess that, that is how I would define my wellness practice. Yeah. And what I hear in that is there's a a balance of like alone time, making that like a sacred time in the morning and connection and relationships. Yeah. Like both with your partner and your kids, but also with other people. Absolutely. Yeah. I really enjoy being with myself. (laughs) Some people. Yeah. Has that always been true for you? Or was that something you needed to learn how to do? You know, it's funny that you asked that because I can remember the exact moment that I became okay with that. And it was back in college. I was probably 19 or so. And I had met someone and had this new boyfriend, but he was from Wisconsin. So a few states away. And he had come down, like his fraternity had come down to like party at our school or something. And I had met him that way. So it became kind of a serious relationship. And so I would actually fly up to Wisconsin to see him and he was a bartender. And so he would have to work at night. And so I would fly up to visit him and he would just leave me at home (laughs) while he went and, and, um, and worked. And I remember one time saying to him, well, you're going to leave me here. Like, I don't know anybody. Like, what am I going to do? And, and he, he said, why don't you go to the movies? And I was like, by myself? And he said, yeah, why not? And I thought, I can't do that. That's crazy. Like, that I would feel so depressed. And, you know, anyway, so, but I did it. I took myself out to dinner and I took myself to the movies. And it was like this huge revelation of this is so cool. (laughs) I can just be by myself and be happy and enjoy myself. And yeah, since then, I've really been able to just quiet down and spend time alone and, really enjoy it. Yeah. And I know that you're like professionally, your um, expertise is in relationships and marriage. I'd be curious to talk about that a little bit more, kind of what you think of wellness in the concept of relationships, either your own or how you coach couples and other types of relationships and into wellness or into um, just shaping their relationship in general. Oh, I love that question. Yes, it's very important to have wellness with your partner. It's very important to spend time and to take time out for play. So play is a big thing that I talk about with my clients um, and in my coaching. It's it's breaking the routine, breaking the monotony, um, and just taking time as a couple to get away and to be silly together or to go on an adventure. It can be things that really feel like play, like going to a fair and riding roller coasters or it can be just simply like going out in the park in the middle of the night and, you know, like going on little adventures or just doing something new, just breaking out of your routine. And that for me is wellness as a couple. Um, another, another thing when I think of wellness in your relationship, another thing is just taking time for each other, spending quality time with each other. And what that looks like is when you know, when you're having time with your partner, that there's no distractions, that you actually lay your phones aside and that you just devote your full attention to being with your partner. You're really listening to them. You're really validating them. Um, You're really taking part in what's going on in their life. That is wellness, just spending that quiet time together, 
Um, and then also just um, something that my husband and I really like to do, but of course, it's it's actually hard when you're in your routine and you're tired. And a lot of times when you get home at night, all you just want to do is veg out in front of the TV and watch The Ultimatum, which we're going to talk about in a <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Guilty pleasure. <laughs> um, but a lot of times you just want to veg out in front of the TV. But if you actually take just one or two nights a week and just keep the TV off, light a couple candles, maybe turn on some music and just lay with each other, the conversation will start flowing. You know, intimacy will probably be there. And um, that's just wellness, just taking that time to quiet down together, to be with one another without having to accomplish something, without having to, you know, have like goal plan or whatever it is that um, that we do. Um, and just, yeah, just quieting down together. So, yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that what you've talked about in terms of wellness for relationships is not um, things that cost money. Cause I, one of the things that I'm hoping to do with the conversations on here is to kind of fight back in a way against the wellness as an industry, the wellness industry, and that it doesn't need to cost money. It doesn't need to be this big elaborate thing, but it's these small moments of like, let's just turn off the distractions and pay attention to one another. That is wellness. We don't have to go out and spend thousands of dollars on a vacation. Like no. That can be great, right? But it's those like small intentional moments. Turn if you know you could turn the vacation into a staycation. You can also turn instead of a professional massage, you can give each other massages, which is so much more meaningful and so wonderful. We have a massage oil that we so so this business, the Blue Letter Project, was actually born out of life experience after a, a major marital crisis that Alex and I had. And that we ended up going on and recovering from and really thriving together. And back then when we were first reconnecting and first refining each other, we discovered massage together. And so we have this one specific massage oil that we used back then. And now when, if, we get, if we open that up and give each other a massage, it's like all of these emotions flood back in. You know, back, like instantly back in the honeymoon stage just because of the smell of the oil. And so it's just, yeah, it's just taking the time to find, also find things around your home to, you know, to use in your wellness practice together. So whether it be massage oil, whether it be foods, you know, that using all of your senses, um, or you can, you know, if you have outdoor space, like I, I feel like it's really powerful um, on like a cool night or in the summer to just go out and sit under the stars together and feel the breeze. And yeah, you don't have to go on an elaborate vacation. You don't need to fly to Bali, although, that, although that's awesome too. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't have to go out to dinner. I mean, you know, going out to dinner nowadays, you're out a hundred bucks at least. Mm -hmm night plus you might have to get a babysitter um and so why not cook together at home or order in and watch your favorite show and have some wine or you know whatever it is but yeah 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 I love that I'm I know we had talked a little bit offline about um some of your work in shaping your relationship despite how you've been conditioned yeah. um and I'm curious if you can say a little bit more about that what that means for you and your work Yes. Well, what originally drew me to you is that, can I talk about your religious trauma work? Yes, please do. Uh, okay. That, that drew me to you because we, I think you and I grew up with very similar backgrounds. Um, I grew up in the Bible Belt in the States and church was really the central, central, played the central role in our family. So we went to church days a week. 
uh, or three times a week. So Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone in my family, you know, was a practicing Christian and it was, uh, it just really played the central role in my family and still does. And so there's a lot of a lot of things that I took, while it was an amazing experience, I'm so grateful for it. And it really has shaped me into the person that I am today. There are some things that I took away from the church in terms of conditioning that sort of tripped me up when I first got married. So lots of dogma around this is how things need to look. This is the process that needs to be followed. Um, and to be fair, it wasn't just the church. It was also our social conditioning. You know, the princess, the princess story and narrative and the, you know, you, this is the order that things need to go in. You know, you meet and then you date and then you get engaged and then you get married and then you have kid number one and then you buy the house and then kid number two comes and then you need to get the car loan and then you need to go do this. And, um, and so I was very, I didn't realize it back then, but I was very, um, I guess sort of taken hostage by my conditioning and how things were supposed to look and ended up, this is where the ultimatum comes in where you and I have connected on this because <laughs> if you have seen the, the show, the ultimatum, you know, you've got one partner who is issuing the ultimatum, marry me or move on. And the other one, you know, I'm not ready yet. And so, yeah, I was definitely, the partner issuing the ultimatum back then without actually issuing an ultimatum. But I basically had, you know, the gun to my husband's chest and mm. happened like this and I'm this age and my biological clock is ticking and it's supposed to look like this. Um, yeah. And Alex is five years younger than me. So he wasn't ready yet. Although he was fully committed to the relationship, he wasn't ready to, to begin the intense adulting with the house and the kids and the everything. But as he says, he was afraid of losing me. So he went along with it all. And then it ended up just absolutely imploding a few years later, um, you know, because he wasn't ready. And so that's what led to our huge marital crisis and um, really where my passion was born for helping couples realize, for bringing awareness into the world to couples that they get to choose their relationship model They get to decide what order they go in. They get to decide what it looks like, how they live. You know, there's so much diversity in love. I mean, love is big enough to include anybody and anything and any concept and any model. You know, so you have same-sex couples. You have interracial couples. You have heterosexual couples. You have couples with huge age differences. It's all valid. It's, you know, it's everyone can shape their own relationship um, in the way that works for them. And as humans, we're so complex, you know, you've got, if you, if you like to dive into the psychology of the human mind, you've got the enneagrams and the human design and the chakras and the, you know, I mean, everybody is, we're so complex. So everybody's made up differently. So you, how can you prescribe one relationship model to every couple? So it's, yeah, it's my passion and my mandate. And I feel like my mission, my divine mission to show couples that they get to shape their relationship, that they get to model what works best for them and that it's absolutely to be honored and valued. Mm, Yeah. I'm curious how, 
your work in like this really expansive view of relationships? Um, if that's something you share with people back home, are they, how do they feel about this kind of shift in perspective for you? Or is that something you keep kind of private? Um, that's a good question. I think my family is very behind the Blue Letter Project and very because my family is also very pro-marriage and pro-commitment. And um, so I think they're very proud of what I'm doing. In terms of the diversity of love, I actually haven't really had that conversation with my family. That would be a good question to get started. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes that feels useful, right, to talk about our professional work with family. And I know for me, it that's not a place that I go uh, with yeah. my own family. So I was just curious because it, it is very different um, to even, even if your own relationship can sort of fall into that more traditional pattern, just to be open and accepting with your clients is very different than like a classic Bible belt evangelical perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I know you and I connected on on this concept because this really resonates with me and and I'm not going to share like too much of my personal, personal life, but that my own relationship path, although having a very similar origin in like the evangelical church um, has looked much different where I've chosen not to get married at this point in my life, but honor commitment still. Um, So this really resonated that you can, you can shape your relationship and however you want. There's no like black and white one path. Um, And that being said, I'm curious if there are any kind of like guideposts that you give your clients for like, yes, relationships can look all different ways, but are there certain like common things that maybe you look for in a healthy partnership? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question. So I have actually have a I'm going to be offering a free gift at the end of this, and I have several free gifts that I can offer, and I haven't decided which one yet. But based on that, I offer the top 10 habits of power couples. And let me see if I can remember all of my top 10 habits here. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot, even if you yeah. just give a few, and we'll keep, we'll keep everyone guessing. <laughs> the number one thing that I preach over and over and over again that is my absolute most favorite tool in relationships um, is the love languages. Are you familiar with the love languages? I am. Yes. It's like, it's a must know for relationships, relationships. So it's just the concept um, developed by Gary Chapman, an American psychologist. And the concept is that each one of us understand and express love in one of the five love languages, uh, which are quality time, acts of service, gifts, physical touch, and words of affirmation. And this is revolutionary. When you first learn about this concept and you, there's a quiz you can take, who doesn't love a quiz? Mm-hmm. Once you learn what your love language is and what your partner's love language is, it's like the clouds part and you, and everything makes sense. It's like everything makes sense. Oh, why, why are we repeating the same patterns of drama? Why are we always in conflict? Why are we fighting about the same things? Why do I feel unloved? Why does he feel empty? Um, you know, why does she continually bring up the same topic when I thought we've covered it, you know? And so the love languages is for me the, the number one uh, tool. Then there's, of course, respect. There's, you know, valuing your partner as a human being, standing behind your partner, support, 
Um, and, and yeah, just fully respecting them as a human being. There's play, which is super important. Um, sex and intimacy, of course, like making sure that that stays alive, making sure that you're, uh, exploring that with your partner. Um, what is the other thing I was just about to say? Communication, of course, communication there, you know, that can be broken down into steps. Like there's all, there's all kinds of tips and tricks that you can use for communication, like the two minute technique. So if you have uh, an issue that you just keep butting heads on, the two-minute te technique is that one partner gets two minutes to speak, the other one stays fully quiet, and then you switch. That's very effective. Um, and then space, giving each other the right amount of space. So allowing your partner to fly and have freedom and trusting that they'll always come back to the nest. Yes, that is so important. I've been reading the book Poly Secure. I don't know if you work with polyamorous couples as well, but I think either way, this idea of a balance between autonomy and connection is yeah. really important, whether you're in a, a more traditional two-person relationship or, or whatever it looks like, that balance is huge. Yes, it is. And also that's, um, I'm sure, are you familiar with Esther Perel? Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. Huge, huge fan. I'm a, I'm a super fan of Esther Perel. And one of the things that she talks a lot about is where desire lives and how to keep desire alive. And what she explains is that there needs to be a little bit of space between two partners because that's where desire lives. And so <clears throat> the closer you get, the more you fuse together and merge together, you know, the, it puts the fire out because fire needs air. And so, yeah, it's this balance, it's this dance of, of space and of togetherness, otherness versus togetherness, um, of allow or encouraging your partner to go out and explore the world and, and learn new things and then bring them back home and share them with you and it enriches your conversation together. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a very important concept. Yeah, I really, I hadn't heard that fire analogy before. That fire needs oxygen. I really like yeah. that. Uh, fire needs air. Yeah, fire needs air. Yeah, yeah. And I know that um, a lot of people listening, I just want to name the fact that a lot of people listening will probably have issue with Gary Chapman. I just want to name that in yeah. some ways he is um, problematic. And I think the love languages offers a lot in terms of how to understand your own needs and your partner's needs. So I just want to name that and you can feel free to speak to that or we can move on totally up to you. No, uh, yeah, I don't have any comments about that. I fully agree with you. And um, I think if Gary Chapman only came into the world to bring the love languages, he has completed his purpose. <laughs> yeah. So wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I remember learning about the love languages when I was still in um, more deeply in Christianity and that being um, the concept in and of itself being one of the things that I have actually taken with me in like a positive way. And, and yes, there's a lot of heteronormativity and, and other things within that, but I don't think it needs to be limited to that. I think it's a great example of uh, reclaiming things from like conditioning or religious past or whatever it is that we can reclaim those things. We don't have to throw it all away. Right. Absolutely, because you get to decide, just like you get to decide yeah. on your model, you get to decide how parts of your conditioning serve you and which don't. Yeah, yeah. And so you brought up the ultimatum and your own kind of ultimatum. I'm curious from your um, 
perspective and expertise in relationships, what do you think about ultimatums? Not that the show, but just the concept. Yeah. You know what? I'm honestly still torn. I don't know. Mm. I don't <laughs> think as a marriage and relationship coach that I would have like a set. Idea. I think it depends. I really do. Uh, mm. um, I think some people need, do need a little push. Um, and some people, it's the fastest way to get them to run. And it's, you know, an ultimatum feels disrespectful. It feels disrespectful of the other person's experience and the pace that they need to go. And it also short, sort of, for me, it sort of um, discounts the love that you have for the person. It's almost making the, the, it's making marriage or it's making the title of married more important than this bond that you have with the person. Um, at the same time, you know, that was our story back when I definitely did not have the knowledge or the awareness that I have today, you know, it was very, I mean, there was, you know, it wasn't dropping hints. It was flat out. This is what I want. And which I think there's benefit to that, right? That we don't, we can't assume someone else can read our minds. Yeah. And, and it, you know, I got what I wanted, but it was, you know, I have to live for the rest of my life with knowing that he wasn't really ready, you know, that he did it just not to lose me. And, um, you know, that hurts. I mean, his heart and his mind and everything eventually caught up. I mean, his heart was always there, but his, you know, his, his readiness eventually caught up. But, you know, of course, I have to live with knowing my husband proposed because I sort of forced him to. <laughs> At the same time, we now have an incredible life together. And so it, in, like, we had a end, you know, had a happy ending, yeah. you know? So it turned out beautifully. And we have two wonderful kids, and we have a beautiful home, and we're happy, and, you know, we're a great team, and we work well together, and we love each other, and so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that it, the show, I believe, I mean, it's reality TV, so, you know, we can't overanalyze it, but I think it's, it oversimplifies yeah. um, what a discussion about a relationship should be. I think, I mean, I think there's some moments in the show where they do get a little bit more nuanced, but just the concept in general is a bit of an oversimplification. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious what you think of the show so far, either past seasons or the current one. Yes. Well, let's see. I'm on season two right now. I've watched season one and then I've watched the queer love one too. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find it fascinating. It's almost like it's almost like when you're sitting in a cafe and you just are people watching, and it's yes. just so fascinating to watch the people walk by, and you can't really explain why. But it's the same thing. It's just so fascinating to peek into these people's relationships, and like for me as a relationship coach, it's really fun to like pick apart their patterns and like mm-hmm. the, you know, oh, okay, I see what his love language is, and I know which she, what attachment style she is, and like. You know, to just, yeah, just to kind of pick that apart and just, you know, look in from the outside. So does it feel fun for you to watch or does it feel like kind of your, your professional brain is online or both? No, I can check out. I can check out. And (laughs) and it's funny because the reason that I watched it in the first place, I was all, I, I was kind of like in an uproar when I saw this 
like you said, the oversimplification, when I saw it advertised, you know, I was, I was like really upset. How can they make a reality show about this? You know, like forcing people into this union that should be, you know, it, yeah, it should be a very well-reflected decision. And, and so I watched the first one basically like I was, because I was so angry, I wanted to watch it. It's like when you, it's like when you drive past a wreck and you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're rubbernecking. <laughs> but let me look, you know? Mm-hmm. So I watched the first episode and then I thought, and and I was really upset. Like, how can they do this? You know, they're oversimplifying. They're this and that. Okay, I'm going to watch episode two for research. <laughs> but I thought, like, I can get so many good ideas from this and I can, like, you know, analyze all the different patterns and it'll help me with my clients. And then I got hooked. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I find the same thing. It is like a rubbernecking. Like, you can't look away as much as you feel like maybe you should. Um, but I... I was talking about this with my own therapist and how um, there's like a freedom in being able to look into people's lives and kind of be able to judge it however you want. Like you don't have to show up as the therapist. You can kind of have your own opinions and, um, and judgments, you know, sometimes in a not very kind way, right? Which is... You can't turn that off. Human nature. I think that was another part of my conditioning was feeling like I'm, you know, I can't judge anyone. I can't, I remember um, if people would gossip about other people, I would say they're not strange or they're not weird. They're just not like me. And it was like very important for me to um, quiet those thoughts in my mind, you know, that we're noticing other people. And now I realize, you know, of course, I'm not going to treat someone poorly based on something that I think about them, but it's just thoughts are, you know, part of our human nature and it's okay. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that um, perspective. I talk with some of my clients about that, that like judging isn't necessarily a bad thing. It is part of what keeps us safe and helps us make sense of the world. Um, Right. And I don't know if you're um, if your kind of conditioning included the phrase, take every thought captive. Um, but that's what made me think of when you said like needing to kind of take all your thoughts and like turn them into something like a little bit kinder. Um, yes. Yes. Everything had to be, had to have a happy ending or turn, be turned into something good. Or, you know, if someone, yeah, if you notice someone having poor behavior, then you had to find the reason behind it. And then, assign something good to it. I guess that was part of my conditioning. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I recently saw some, a post on Instagram, um, about like the, the phrase, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And how actually that's kind of harmful. Um, I'd be curious your thoughts within like a relationship perspective, what you think about that phrase. Well, it's very important that you don't keep quiet if there's something harmful, you know, It's not even just about setting boundaries. It's just about keeping the communication lines open and, you know, feeling like building that, that level of trust with your partner that you really can talk about how you're feeling or really, you really can talk about something that's not working for you or something that's lacking for you. Um, So yeah, no, that uh, phrase is harmful. I agree with you. Uh, Yeah. I hadn't thought too much about it because of course, like you want to speak kindness to people, but there also needs to be, um, 
sort of like an awareness of your own thoughts and feelings, even when they're not, you know, sugar-coated. Like you're allowed to have feelings and thoughts that are difficult for other people to hear. Right. I had to, I just actually wrote a mom uh, tonight because my daughter was complaining about, there's a little girl who's making fun of her and calling her a certain name. That's like a play on her last name and it's, and it's really hurting my daughter. And so I've tried for a couple of weeks to help my daughter just sort of solve the problem on her own. She's about to turn seven, but it wasn't working. And so she actually asked me if I would reach out to the mom. And so I just did reach out to the mom. And of course that's, having something not nice to say, but of course I presented it in a loving way, you know, and I said, you know, this is hurting my daughter and would you mind talking to your daughter? And she, you know, sent me a voice message back and said, thank you so much for reaching out to me. I'll absolutely talk to her. Sorry that that's happening, you know, and it's sometimes you have to say things that are uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's coming from a a place of nurturance and protection of your own child, which I think we often, this could be a whole other conversation, but it's a lot easier to like take that approach with our children or our loved ones and with ourselves, and say the hard thing for someone else rather than yeah. on our own behalf. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been such a fun conversation, but before we go, I want to ask like, what are you watching, reading, doing right now that keeps you well. I know you hinted at that at the beginning with your sacred morning time, but is there anything that you're just loving right now and out in the world? Well, we've talked about the ultimatum of <laughs> yes. This is this isn't really a wellness. I guess it doesn't really fall into the category, but I guess it's anything that makes you feel good, right? So I'm Yeah. My son, who is, has just turned 10, he has a big life goal, and it's that he wants to be rich one day, right? So, <laughs> of course. So, become a professional soccer player, or I could, and I could invent something that no one's ever thought of. And so, I've been brainstorming this with him like, how could you get rich? rich? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I bought a book for him that was written for children. And it's all about money and it's all about um, what is money and how do you invest? Like it goes into investing and um, it goes into like, um, do mommy and daddy get to keep all of the money that they make? And so it teaches about taxes and like all of these things that are quite dry and boring in my opinion, usually are really fun in this book. And so we're reading a chapter every night together in bed and he's getting really excited about these prospects of like, I'm teaching him about investing. And so he's like, and so if I put this, my birthday money in this, it could grow to this. And then maybe, you know, so that's actually really fun for me lately. (laughs) I love that. Cause I, even, I know this is supposed to be like the fun part of our conversation, but even thinking about how we've been conditioned, right. What our whole conversation has been, I, I don't know about you, but I just certainly got the conditioning that like becoming rich is not a, um, a godly goal or a worthwhile goal. So I love that you're not just shutting that down and you're actually like, okay, this is what you want. We're going to figure out how to teach you what this actually means. That's the most enriching part of it, to be honest, Carrie, is is, I've thought a lot about that, is that I'm going to change that narrative. And my parents didn't teach me that. And so to be fair, that was not, but that's definitely the social conditioning that I had. Um, But yeah, that's what I'm enjoying most is is allowing him to dream big and allowing him to dream about having a lot of money one day. 
you know, and he can do with it, you know, I know that he'll do good in the world with his money and also teaching him, you know, the more money you have, the more good you can do in the world and kind of like reframing a lot of the mindset hurdles that I have around money, reframing them for him so that they never become hurdles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Doing that. I love that. What is the name of the book? Just in case people are interested, do you know? Well, unfortunately, it's a German book. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, never mind. So if you speak German, connect with Cynthia. Right. Maybe it'll get translated one day and then I'll reach out to you and let you know. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Of course, the Germans are a little bit ahead in, in teaching kids about that. Um, yeah. So how can people find you and connect with you if they're interested in learning more about your work or grabbing that free offering that you're going to share with folks? Yes. So I, I will share my forget the top 10 habits of power couples. And it just outlines the top 10 things, categories that are, uh, make up a healthier relationship. And I'll share that link with you. Maybe you can put it in the show notes. Absolutely. Yes. And we'll put all of your social and website links, but so people can hear your social, what is that? Yeah. On Instagram, you can find me at the blue letter project. It's all one word, the blue letter project. And on Facebook, it's the same. It's the blue... Is it the Blue Letter Project? Like, leave me not knowing my own socials. Yeah, you just search Blue Letter Project, and I have a free Facebook group that's that's private and confidential. It, it's no cost to join, and um, I do a deep dive on a new topic every single week, all around marriage and relationships. So we've done everything under the moon, name it, and we've done it. Um, this is Are You Right for an Affair? And so we're yes. really you were really jumping into how to affairs. I think the topic, the, the the title is, it's always let's talk about and then the new topic. And this week it was let's talk about how affairs begin. And so we are diving into the psychology behind affairs, how people get themselves into a, into a compromising situation because a lot of times it slips up on you. A lot of people think affairs are something that happen if you're a bad person, but Honestly, 90% of the time, that's not the case. They just sort of slip up on you. Um, We're talking about what makes fertile ground for an affair. So in a relationship, it can be unmet physical or emotional needs. It can be a a whole host of things. I'm not going to go into that. But that's our topic of the week this week. And that's all inside the free Facebook group. So I think I provided that link to you. Yes. If you want to join. Yes, I will put all of that information in the show notes. I know, I think it was last week, you did intellectual stimulation. So fascinating. I've been loving just following along on Instagram. Um, But yeah, I'll put all that in the show notes so people can see more about your work and get those relationships to power couple status. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you so much, Cynthia. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been another conversation with your friend, the therapist. To follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at your friend, the therapist pod, and you can follow my work as a trauma therapist and yoga teacher on Instagram at Carrie Fillion Psychotherapy or my website, carriefillion.com. Take care and stay well.